Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So good that you guys come out on this snowy day. I love being with you guys, even when it does snow. Um, up in Greeley, uh, of course, it's farm country. The snow's good for the winter wheat and rain. So we always call it liquid sunshine. So just keep in mind that it is needed. It is great. Hey, we're going to be doing a Bible study this morning. So if you'll turn to Paul's second letter to Timothy, Second Timothy in the back of the New Testament, we'll be in chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. Pastor Ed, when he said, if you get a chance to go to Israel in 2021, do go. We just got back from Israel. Um, It was warmer um, when we went, but a lot of people in Israel. Jerusalem's very crowded, but if you ever get a chance, uh, it is a trip of a lifetime. But this morning, we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. Paul writing to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love and perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. In verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Father, as we read your word, We know that this letter was not just for Timothy, but it is for us this morning. There is something here for us to not only look at the implication, but the application for our lives. I pray our hearts would be stirred and touched in this very important exhortation given to us in your word, especially in the day in which we are in. So Lord, bless this time in the teaching of the word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. By way of a little bit of background to get a kind of the setting of what has taken place here. As you travel through the book of Acts, the missionary journeys of Paul, historians conclude that they would take place in about 47 to 57 AD. From the years 57 to 60 AD, Paul was slowly making his way through the court systems as he would be arrested in Jerusalem. A lot of you know, as you read in Acts chapter 21, it tells us how Paul was falsely accused of taking Gentiles into the temple in Jerusalem. He would then begin to go through this legal nightmare, if you would, which consisted of a number of trials in Israel. And the apostle would appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. In the book of Acts, as you end the book, it ends with Paul ultimately arriving in Rome, and for two years, in 60 to 62 AD, Paul would be held under house arrest in Rome, waiting to go on trial before the emperor. He would have his own quarters. He was free to have visitors, but he would be chained to a Roman guard 24-7. It is during those two years that Paul would uh, write the prison epistles of Philemon and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians as Paul would write that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He would say that my chains are for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul would stand before Caesar Nero and we know that he would be acquitted. Rome took very seriously that any accusation against a Roman citizen that the accusers had to show up for that trial. And of course, those religious leaders of Jerusalem were not going to go to Rome, so he would be acquitted, but it would be recorded in the records of of the trial that took place. We know that as he's released in 62 AD, that for five years he traveled more or less freely 
perhaps going to Spain. We know from Romans chapter 15 that Paul said, I, my desire is to come to you in Rome. And he would, maybe not perhaps in the way that he thought he would. He would go as a prisoner, but as he would express, his desire was to go to Spain. So he would travel, uh, continuing to minister. But during that time, he would leave Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church there, a major church in Proconsular Asia, a church that Paul has started on his third missionary journey. You read about that in Acts chapter 19. And Paul, other young protege, uh, Titus that is, would be left in Crete to pastor the church there. And Paul would write each of them a letter, what we have in 1 Timothy, what we have in Titus, and he would instruct them. He would instruct them on church conduct and order. He would encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And as Paul would write to them, he also, about three or four years later, in about 67 AD, he now is in this prison in Rome as he would be rearrested by the orders of Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero, at this time that Paul is writing 2 Timothy, has started to persecute the Christians very heavily. And Paul, as he would be rearrested, would be put into this dark, damp dungeon, this, this terrible place. And it is here that Paul would write to Timothy a second letter. And these are the last words of Paul the Apostle that we have in the New Testament. He writes this right before Caesar Nero orders his execution. You see, Nero, during this time, had began to persecute the Christians. Uh, starting in about 64 AD, uh, he burnt the city of Rome down and he blamed the Christians. And, and the Christians are being arrested, being martyred, they're being burnt at the stake, uh, they're being fed to the lions, uh, they are being sewn up in wild animal skins, to where they're being thrown out into the wild where wild dogs and wolves would tear at them. We know that ancient historians would write that Caesar Nero would mock the Christians as they were being tortured, as they were being burnt at the stake to, to you know, just add to their agony and their pain. The Jewish wars at this time had begun in 66 AD, which would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And as many of you know, that Titus and the Roman legions would surround Jerusalem and they would break through the city walls and they would level Jerusalem in the second temple to where not one stone was left upon another, just as Jesus said would happen. And it is Josephus, the Jewish historian, that wrote that 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time. You see, the reason that I'm giving you a little bit of background leading up to our study here is not to bore you with history, but for you to understand that these are very, very difficult days. And as Paul is writing here, he is writing from a dungeon. Of course, as he's re-arrested by the orders of Caesar Nero, he would walk down this hallway that was called the hallway of darkness. And there would be a wooden platform with this trap door. And they would strip Paul down to his tunic. And they would wrap ropes around his arms. And that trap door would open up. And there he would be lowered down in the Tullianum dungeon is what it was called. It was a horrible place. It was a place where it smelled of human waste. There would be some wet straw in one corner where perhaps you could lay down a spring in a corner that if you dared to drink from. And here is Paul as he's dropped down into this place, much like what Jeremiah would experience in the Old Testament. We're going through the book of Jeremiah on Wednesday nights, and he's dropped down into this cistern, uh, this this place that was dug out of the ground. And, and as Jeremiah would be there in that place, here is Paul as he's all alone. It seems as though Luke has access to Paul, perhaps because he was a physician and Luke was faithful to Paul. This epistle, Second Timothy, as you read it, is full of emotion. And as we look at this letter carefully, Paul, as he for the last time puts pen to parchment, knowing that he is going to face the axemen. Paul in this epistle uses words that he doesn't use in any other epistle. And I think that Paul, he writes this 
letter to Timothy with many tears. And Timothy would read it with many tears because they were very close. They had a deep love and a bond that only can be found in Christ. And as Paul would write to Timothy, he would write to him and, and call him a true son in the faith. You're my beloved son. I have no one like-minded except for Timothy. And Timothy, at this point that Paul is pinning these words to him, would have been with Paul ministering alongside with him for some 20 years now. It was Timothy that traveled with Paul, and he learned from Paul, and he suffered from Paul as he suffered together with him in the ministry. And in this second letter, Paul is continuing to encourage Timothy in his ministry and in his life to press on, to fight the good fight, to continue to be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And as you go through this epistle, not only is he being encouraged to endure, but Timothy, I'm warning you as well in the days in which we are in. There are those that are in the church. They are vessels of dishonor who will come along with corrupt minds and hearts. They will deceive and they pollute others. They will teach that which is false. They will bring foolish and ignorant disputes. And they will come in opposition to those who are godly. So Paul has been very carefully and very honestly warning Timothy about his day where those vessels of dishonor would come into the church and cause problems. And that Paul, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God to write these words down, would tell of the hearts and character of men and women in the last days as you begin to read this chapter, that men would be lovers of themselves. It's a misdirected love which would lead to other 18 characteristics that he lists here in verses 2 through 4. There will be those, Timothy, that will have this form of godliness but deny its power. They, they never come to the knowledge of the truth. And even though as they pass themselves on as being holy and, and righteous and religious and spiritual, but you be careful, Timothy, watch out for them. Because they will enter into your house and into your life and appeal to your carnality and appeal to your flesh. And if you are immature in the word and you are immature in the Lord, if you are gullible, if you are one that pursues your lusts and wants, then you will be held captive by them. It's like the days of Moses where there was Janus and Jambres, men of corrupt minds, counterfeit. And Paul has been talking about how in the last days, that Timothy, it will be perilous times. He didn't say it might be perilous times, or I hope it isn't perilous times. In the last days, it will be perilous times. Timothy, understand this, know this. This is important. That word perilous means dangerous times, very difficult times. That word perilous is used only one other time in the New Testament as Paul borrows it from Matthew in Matthew chapter 8 as Matthew's describing the demoniacs of the Gadarenes, that they were exceedingly fierce. That's our word there that in the last days it's going to be exceedingly fierce. It's going to be that way, Timothy. And you have these men, the characteristics of culture that are in our last days where there is so much deception and corruption. Those disapproved workers concerning the faith, this is what they're like. They love themselves. And money, they boast, and they're full of pride. They're unthankful, they're unholy, they're unloving. They are brutal, without self-control. All of those things listed there. And now, Timothy, this is what you are to be about. This is how you respond to all these things that I am warning you about. That this is how you continue on. So that you don't get held captive and get deceived. So that you can have discernment in the days in which you are living in Timothy. And we read this and we can have discernment in the days in which we are in.
So Paul continuing to exhort and encourage Timothy that despite dangerous and difficult challenges that he was facing, and here is Timothy, he has this daunting task of pastoring this church in Ephesus where there's the problems internally of those with corrupt minds, those who are teaching false doctrine, and then externally the persecution coming against the Christians. And Paul says that, Timothy, this is what you're to do. As you face these difficult challenges, number one, you don't waver. Timothy knew the last days would be perilous. Second of all, for those who have this form of godliness but denying its powers, second of all, you're to turn away from them. And now the third present imperative that I want to focus on here this morning is that as you face difficult times, as you are going to be persecuted, as evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, this is what you must do, Timothy. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. And it is definitely an exhortation for you and for me as Paul puts these words to the page. Timothy, you need to continue and abide in the things that you have learned. And the things that you have been assured of from childhood, that, that word childhood, brethos, it means from an infant. We read in the beginning of the epistle that Paul would take time to note the, the, and come to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and then persuaded is in you also. It was a genuine faith. It wasn't just an inherited faith. And what I mean by that is there are some people, we talk to them, don't we? They say, yeah, I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians. Or I was raised in a Christian home. There are those that they believe that they're a Christian because their names are on a membership role of a church. Or I got baptized when I was an infant. Or I was confirmed in the church. And we know those things do not make us a Christian that there has to be a genuine faith in coming to Jesus Christ. And your grandmother, Timothy, and your mother had a genuine faith, and it was the seedbed for planting the word in your heart from childhood that has brought a genuine faith to you as you committed your life to the gospel. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we are reminded in this epistle that there are three generations of believers, Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. And what a tremendous blessing. And in a time where, again, as we take note, and as we read, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It would be a few years after this letter is penned to Timothy you know, sometimes I hear commentators or Bible teachers say Timothy was timid. He was kind of afraid. And Timothy had reason to be afraid. That's why Paul said, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love inside mind. But Timothy was committed. And a few years after this, he would be beaten to death in the streets of Ephesus as he was trying to stop a pagan parade coming down the streets. You and I in the day in which we are living in, that as we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, that we will experience tribulation, persecution to some degree in some way. The source may be family members. It may be from a spouse, from friends, old friends, from co-workers, from the boss, at school and some of you this morning you're experiencing that and as we are being told that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse but Timothy you must continue in the things that you've learned and we as Christians we are on, on a different course than the rest of the world and instead of going with the culture you and I are counterculture and as we stand for who we believe in, as Paul would write in this epistle, I know whom I have believed. 
as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and as we stand on what we believe, that is the gospel and the word of God because we know that Paul would say to Timothy in verse 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work that all scripture all means from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Amen? All of it is God-breathed is what that word literally means. God-breathed that the Word of God will stand forever. And all throughout since the beginning of time, ever since in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent came to Eve and attacked the Word of God, did God really say? We know that the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of God will stand forever. And every single person has come along to try to rid the word of God. Every emperor, every king, every czar, every politician, every Hollywood person, whoever it might be, has tried to get rid of the word of God. They have come and gone like a breath of smoke like a vapor, James says, and they are gone and they will be gone and the word of God will stand forever because it is eternal. And we need to remember that. And the word of God is not only inspired, God breathed, its origin is divine. It is from an eternal God that is all-knowing and all-powerful, which means two other ends, that it is infallible and it is inerrant. That is, it is not failing. It is perfect. It, will, it is truth. Be careful when you hear somebody says, well, the Bible contains truth. It is truth, period not just contain truth. And we can trust the Word of God and we got good reasons to believe the Word of God. And we took like four weeks to go through these few verses because I want people to understand that the Word of God is inspired. We got good reason to believe it and trust in the Word of God. Amen? And I want you to know that because the Word of God is under attack today in our culture. And it's going to increase in the direction that we're going and you who stand for the word of God, you will take the heat to some degree as you desire to live godly. And you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. In other words, that you're convinced of those things and then thirdly, from whom you have learned them. And we know that Paul's two letters to Timothy, that that was at least three people. His grandmother Lois and mother Eunice and Paul. Those were the great influences in Timothy's life. Who's been an influence in your spiritual life? Was it a grandparent? Your parents? Maybe a relative? A friend? Maybe one of the children ministry teachers downstairs? Or a youth pastor upstairs? Maybe Pastor Ed here, or one of the other pastors? Maybe a pastor that you heard on the radio? People who were in your life that influenced you towards the gospel and your walk with Christ. And this is what we need to do. Continue in the things that you have learned, the word of God, the scriptures, and been assured of them. Listen, this is important. I don't know what's going to happen in the election. I don't know what's going to happen to our liberties. I don't know how ungodly and evil our culture is going to get. I don't know how bad persecution will be for us who live godly in Christ Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen with our nation. But I do know and I am assured with all of my heart that you and I as Christians, we have a glorious future and that we are of a different kingdom and a holy nation. And we've been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ who hung that cross for dying for our sins as he made atonement, as he was the propitiation. And we have a different destiny. And I know that we're not supposed to live like the people of this world because if we do, they have no hope. And if we are ashamed of the gospel, they have no hope. You must continue. 
and be convinced of the things that you have learned. And remember from who you have learned them since childhood. We know from Acts chapter 16, where Timothy is first mentioned, Paul began his second missionary journey with Silas. And we're told in Acts 16 at Timothy that he was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And we don't know exactly when Lois and Eunuch came to faith that uh, the chances are it's very probable on that Paul's first missionary journey when he came to Lystra and they heard the gospel and Timothy was a teenager at that point. But from childhood, they taught Timothy the scriptures, which would be the Old Testament scriptures. And here Timothy is, according to Acts chapter 16, he had a father that was Greek. Timothy grew up in a home, in a place where Greek influence was all around him. His father had enough influence to forbid circumcision, we know. And we also get the indication there was no synagogue that we know of in Lystra. So you have these two Jewish women in a pagan town where Zeus and Hermas and the Greek pantheons uh, are the beliefs of the people. And the stories of Mount Olympus are told, and Hercules the strong man, and the great warrior Alexander the Great. And these two godly women, from the time that Timothy was a young child, are whispering in his ear. And I just picture Timothy's grandmother and mother holding him as an infant close to them and whispering in his ear, the Lord thy God is one, the Lord thy God is one. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The great Shema. And as Timothy is growing up, he's learning not about Mount Olympus, but Mount Sinai. Not about Hercules, but Samson. Not about Alexander the Great, but the great king and warrior David. There is a spiritual divergence in the home. And in a culture where there were all different Greek philosophers and the myths and the pagan gods and, and, and paganism and immorality that was taking place, there was a mom and a grandmother that took very serious communicating to their son, to their grandson, the word, the scriptures. And when they came to faith in Jesus, hearing from this one, Paul the Apostle, who was at one time a Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin, had a radical conversion on the way to Damascus. And he comes in on his first missionary journey into Lystra, and he comes preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. That Jesus is the one that the Old Testament scriptures spoke of. He fulfilled the prophecies. He, he's your Mashiach. He's your Messiah. He, he's the one that came and died for your sins on a cross and rose again and is your salvation. You recall that Jesus said to the religious leaders that you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that testify of me. He's the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one, the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53, the lamb that was led to the slaughter of Psalm 16 and 22. And Lois and Eunuch come to faith in Christ and Timothy as well. And Lois and Eunuch were very serious about speaking the scriptures into the life of Timothy from childhood. And they took to heart what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That the commandments of the Lord, the word of God, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And here was this godly influence. The one thing that they gave to Timothy in an ungodly world around them was this. The word of God. So the question for us is, what about us? Grandparents, mom and dads, what are we giving our kids? We give them lots of things. Culture often dictates that 
we give them certain things. You know how we wrestle with this, with the phones? I, I raised four kids, they're now adults, but I remember my oldest, Barbara, when she was a teenager, it's like, do we dare get her a phone, you know? Do, do we do that? And we wrestle with it now. You got kids five, six years old walking around with smartphones, and it's just something that's a part of our culture, something that they get, and then the iPads and everything else, and the, the computers and the AirPods, nothing wrong with AirPods. I got AirPods from Christmas from my kids. They said, hey, Dad, you got to have these. Now I walk around the house and around the church with those things stuck in my ears. You know, they're pretty cool. But we know how that is, don't we? We expend a lot of energy, put in a lot of time when it comes to the sports and comes to dance, when it comes to music. Listen, I get it. I, I, I get it. My youngest daughter that was here last night, she's getting ready to graduate in May at UNC in piano performance. It's one of the most difficult majors up there and one of the most difficult and prestigious music you know, programs in all of the nation. Hours and hours of practicing the piano. She's got a senior recital coming up here in another month where she has to play for a whole hour. Memory, no sheet music. I, I understand. Guys, I, my son, eldest son, both my sons played sports. And, and I remember driving Luke to, to lift weights because he got pushed around when he was a freshman and sophomore. But you need to get in there and you need to lift weights and you need to do something about it. And when he was a senior, he went from 180 to 220 and he was a wrecking machine. I loved watching him play football. He was an all-state linebacker, captain of the football team, state champions. Oh, I just, mm, just love that. You know how that is, guys. So I understand that we have the activities and the sports, and the music, the hobbies, the other things. But we need to be careful that those things don't begin to choke out the spiritual life of us and to our children. Remember that Jesus, when he told the parable of the sower, and he said certain seed was planted on the ground and, the, and the, the plant came up and then the weeds came out and choked out the plant. And that's what happens as he, he likened it to the cares of life that can begin to choke out our spiritual life. We all got cares of life. We have jobs, we have children to raise, we got things that we want to do, but don't let it choke out your spiritual life. And may we prioritize in giving our children the Word of God. And I know that you don't feel this way, but once in a while, I'll run into somebody and say, well, that's your job, Pastor. That's what the children's ministry people are about and the youth pastors. And we will do everything that we can to minister to them just like those who are ministering to your children and to your youth here. And I understand that there are kids coming here, that they're coming from an ungodly home. Maybe grandparents are bringing them or their friend is bringing them. I get that. But for you parents that are here, that you be the primary influence in their lives. What do we do as we are facing perilous times? As we know in our day, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving that we are in the last days. Where we're seeing those who have this form of godliness but denying its power, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is our response to that? Timothy, you must continue the things which you have learned and been assured of and knowing from whom you have learned them from childhood. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And why does Paul say that? Because there is power in the Word of God. There is power in the Gospel, power to save an individual that comes to faith, whoever believes. And from the time that our children and grandchildren are little, speak the word of God into their hearts. And we need to be serious about the command that was given 3,500 years ago to Moses in that generation. 
and it is imperative for our generation in these last days. And we take note of these two godly women that we have recorded in Paul's last words to the church mentioned as ones who invested in young Timothy. The word that was planted in your heart, Timothy, it ended up being ignited when Paul came preaching the gospel message. And Paul, of course, was a great influence to Timothy. Again, let's take note in verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. You know, that word doctrine means the truth of God's word. It's something that he has repeated to Timothy over and over again uh, going through his letters to Timothy in First and Second Timothy. Matter of fact, in the first letter, the very first charge, the, I charge you, Timothy, in verse 3, after he, he gives his opening greeting, he says, Timothy, I charge you. That's a very strong word. It, it's, I command you. It's like a military officer that's commanding a soldier. Timothy, I charge you, teach no other doctrine. And he continues reiterating that all throughout First and Second Timothy. Matter of fact, it's going to be the last charge as you go to ch- chapter 4 in his last words. I charge you, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So doctrine was important. The emphasis that Timothy, you must continue giving the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. You have carefully followed my doctrine. That word doctrine is used once in Matthew, it's used once in Mark, and then Paul uses it 19 times in his letters. This is Paul's word. You know my doctrine, my manner of life. It is the only time that phrase is used in the New Testament. It speaks of lifestyle. Timothy, you have followed my godly lifestyle. It didn't contradict, you know, what Paul was teaching to Timothy and how he was living. How about us parents? Whoever you are. Because all of us have people that are linked to us. And not that anyone or our kids are going to see perfection, not by the least bit. But do they see godliness being worked out in our lives or do they see worldliness, carnality, being self-absorbed, telling our kids to do one thing and yet we do another? Timothy, you know my manner of life. You know my purpose. Paul had a real purpose in life to be a minister of the gospel. He wanted to do God's will and to finish the work that God had given to him. In a few words after what we've read this morning, he's going to say, Timothy, my departure's at hand. And I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. All of us have a race to run. All of us have a course to run. And we're to run. And we're to keep fighting that good fight. And Timothy, I'm going to face death. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I don't want to live for self. I don't think any of us want to do that. You know my faith, Timothy, my long-suffering. That's a word that really kind of has stuck out to me going through this epistle, and I've kind of taken notice in my own devotions how many times Paul uses that word long-suffering. Those are two words that we don't always like together, long-suffering. Short-suffering is hard enough, right? You give the word in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when you're feeling great, when you have a headache when you're feeling energized, when you're just tired, when you're just tired. And I don't want to pour into my kids right now. And I just want to veg out or I just want to go to bed. And you convince and you rebuke and you exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
Some of you, perhaps you've poured into your children or loved one. And it seems like they're not responding. They're, they're walking away from the Lord. And you have a hole in your heart and it hurts. You keep praying for them and you keep giving them the word of God with all long suffering. Don't stop. You know my perseverance, Timothy, which means to stick with it when things get tough. And that's a major theme in chapter 2, if you go through of this epistle, that, that grow and be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, you must endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. You be that athlete that runs the race to win the prize, and you be like that farmer that is planting seeds so there is a crop that comes up. You know my persecutions, Timothy, in Acts chapter 15 in Lystra, that Paul and Barnabas, they come into Lystra, and, and Paul is used by God to, to heal a man that couldn't walk. And all of a sudden, they begin to say, hey, Paul and, and Barnabas, they're Zeus and Hermas. They're the gods that come from heaven. And they wanted to sacrifice to Paul and, and to Barnabas. And, and they tore their clothes, and they said, no, we're but mere men. Let us tell you about the true and the living God. By the end of the day, they went from wanting the sacrifice to Paul to stoning Paul as they get worked up and then all of a sudden he gets drugged out of the city Acts 15 says and was left for dead I think they threw him in the garbage heap because that's where it was and Timothy the indication here is he saw all that you know my persecution at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy joins the missionary team, has been faithful to Paul for some 20 years now, and continues to know of Paul's persecutions as Paul is in this Manertine dungeon. Timothy knew of Paul's persecution firsthand. He has no illusions about ministry. And he comes to know Jesus as the foundation had been laid, the seeds had been planted by his grandmother and mother who spoke God's word into his life. If you have had parents that spoke truth to you, gave you the word of God, and I know that not all of us grew up in Christian homes, and if you had a godly influence, do not take that for granted. If you had godly parents, mom and dads, that spoke truth into your life when you were little and you are assured of those things, you are blessed. And you be thankful for that. And if you grew up in a godly home where you had parents or whoever that loved you enough to speak the gospel and the truth of God's word into your life, praise God for that. But I also know that culture in the world can begin to pull on you. And what can happen is you can take it for granted. We can take it for granted coming to, to church and it's another Bible study. Ed's teaching us through, you know, the book of the Bible and, and it's another Bible study and we take it for granted. We never want to take that for granted. And if you are here and you're letting the world take you down and pull you away from Jesus Christ and you're beginning to hang out with those, maybe co-workers or friends or whoever it might be, and you're yucking it up with them and they're mocking the Lord and you're getting all caught up in that, I want to say this. When the world around you begins to fall apart, and you hopefully will begin to realize that this world is a big scam. And it will lead you defeated and depressed and hopeless and confused and empty in your heart. And the message of God to you, if you're headed in that direction, the message of God to you this morning is this. Come home. You come home. And he will be waiting for you with open arms and with his everlasting love. And this church will welcome you with open arms. What do we do with the godly influences in our lives? With truth that's been spoken to our lives. Whether it's from the time that you were a child or whenever it was and whoever it was that spoke 
truth and the gospel into your life. It led you to getting saved. We all need to take these things that we have learned and been assured of knowing who you have learned them from. We must continue in those things because the world around us is like an undertow trying to pull us away from the Lord and the word and trying to pull us down. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the word of God is able to make you wise for salvation, not just knowledgeable. And it is now up to us to influence others. And you who are the younger generation, I just want to say this. What are you going to do with that which has been entrusted to you? Are you going to continue in the things that you have learned? The word of God that's been entrusted to you and given to you. You see, Paul's passing the baton on to Timothy. Paul's departure is at hand. There's no more missionary journeys. There's no more sermons he's given. There's no more epistles to write. There's no more churches that he's going to be starting. Timothy, that you must continue in the scriptures. And you see, this is important to those of us who are older. I've told my fellowship 24 years in Greeley that we have done everything that we can, not perfectly, but everything that we can to give you the Word of God. And we're about ready to finish for the second time all 66 books of the Bible. And for you who are younger, we're passing the baton on to you. And what you do with it matters to me. Because you're going to be the ones that will influence the generation that comes after you, your kids, my grandkids. What are you going to do? We're handing the baton on to you. And you're going to hand it on to the next generation. So what is it that you're going to hand them? What is it that you're going to give them? And parents and grandparents, please don't underestimate the important role and responsibilities that you have to your children at whatever age that they're at. And I know there's different circumstances. I know that you may be separated from your kids. You keep praying for them. And as you're able to communicate to them, make it a priority, the Word of God. The Lord's coming soon. We can get involved in all kinds of things on the horizontal. But what are we going to leave them when we are buried? These are more critical times than ever before. And here we have the grandmother of the Bible, Lois, passed on her genuine faith to her daughter Eunice, and then they pass it on to this incredible young man, Timothy, and the full orb of the gospel came to them as Paul came preaching the gospel on that first missionary journey. And it's a wonderful record for us to consider Imagine what our kids are facing now, right? We just started a new year, but a new decade. I think how things have changed so rapidly in the last 10 years. It's a different world. It's a more dangerous world. It's a more messed up and mixed up world than ever before. What are they going to be facing in the next 10 years if the Lord tarries? So are we committed to this? And I know for me, my prayers, when I close my eyes and I breathe my last, that, Lord, that I have given my children and my grandchildren that godly inheritance, the Word of God, and it was a priority. More than anything, than my kids saying, Oh, dad, you know, how popular he was or how big his church was or my accomplishments. I want them to be able to say, our dad loved us enough to give us the word of God. And he kept speaking it into our hearts. And it was real in his life. That's what I want to be able to do as I run my race. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this great encouragement given to us and, and a challenge, I know. So I do pray that as these words come forth from your page that is alive, that it would come into our hearts, 
And Lord, help us, whatever state that we're in, to minister to our children, our grandchildren, Lord, family members, friends, whoever that, that we have opportunity to, to speak truth in the Word of God into their lives with long-suffering, perseverance, that our manner of life would show that the Word of God is true and real and they can see something of the reality of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this great reminder for us, especially in the day in which we are in. And Father, right now, I just want to pray if anyone who is here that you're not right with God. First of all, maybe you've never come to the gospel. I know that people ask me, why do you give a gospel after every message? I don't want you to think that, that you're saved because you came to a Bible study. As good as that is, have you committed your life to Jesus and realized that you need to be forgiven, the greatest need of any man or any woman, to come to the cross and surrender your life to him and come in faith? He loves you. He loves you so much. That's why he went to the cross, to die for you and took your sins upon himself. And then he cried out, it is finished. And now you come in faith, believing on him and that he rose from the grave and is alive. Today is the day of salvation. And if you haven't made a commitment, please, the invitation from him is to come. Will you pray this sincerely? You can pray right where you are. That Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner, I know. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me that you're alive, you rose from the grave, and I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as my personal Lord and Savior. This is now my gospel. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. I also want to pray a second invitation. Or maybe you're here and you've been in that undertow of the world pulling you away. That the invitation is to come home. Just reaffirm, recommit your life to Jesus. Because listen, the world will leave you empty. And the world is not your hope. And as we're going to close here with this last song is, Father, those who need prayer to come up and receive that. And Lord, I pray all of us would leave this place encouraged, challenged, yes, but encouraged and blessed that we have been here. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.